with you that uh, basically states that. There ain't no God like Jehovah, amen? So, uh, Psalm 46, beginning in verse 1, say it with me, God is. Say it again. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, there is a river whose stream shall make glad in the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is, say God is. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God shall help her just as the break of dawn. The nations raged and the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted, and the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Verse 8, come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease at the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still. Say, be still. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Let us pray. Father, help us to know that our God is. In Jesus' name, amen. God is. I absolutely love it that from the very beginning of that psalm, the psalmist doesn't question the existence of God. Instead, he simply states, God is is much in the same way that the bible begins in genesis chapter 1 verse 1 where the bible says in the beginning you're thinking of john i'm thinking of genesis in the beginning god amen in the beginning god i simply can't understand how anyone could deny the existence of god it blows me away but I read about a man who was speaking out against religion, and uh, he was doing it in England, in London, England. And he said, my hatred of religion is inherited. My grandfather was an atheist, my father was an atheist, and thank God I'm an atheist. <laughs> now, I didn't think y'all were going to catch that, but y'all did. Y'all are pretty sharp, amen? Thank God I'm an atheist too, Wow. Uh, does anybody remember learning in school about the Scopes monkey trials? Am I the only one? There's two, three. The Scopes monkey trials. Four, five. Amen. The Scopes monkey trials. Now, if you don't recall this, a high school teacher named John Scopes uh, was defended by a very famous criminal lawyer and a proclaimed atheist named Clarence Darrow. Now, uh, the state of Tennessee had brought a, uh, an, an indictment against this John Scopes because it was illegal to teach the theory of evolution. But this atheist attorney, Clarence Darrow, uh, surprisingly, as he lay dying, summoned three religious men. He summoned a 
a Presbyterian minister, he summoned a Catholic priest, and he summoned a Jewish rabbi to his deathbed. And he said to those guys, gentlemen, I have written and spoken many things against God and many things against his church during my lifetime. Now here on my deathbed, I wish that I hadn't. Because it's now that I truly realize that it's entirely possible that I was wrong. So I ask you three men a final favor. I ask you to intercede for me with the Almighty. I ask you to pray for me. Now, friends, there's no way to know if their prayer did Mr. Darrow any good at all. But one thing is for sure. When unbelievers leave this world, they will find out that they were wrong. They will find out. They were wrong. How could any thinking person look at the starry universe? How could any thinking person look at this incredible planet, look at a newborn baby, and not believe in our creator? Friends, I want to tell you something this morning. God is. God is. God exists. God is eternal. God creates. He builds good things into this world. He blesses you and I with many good things. And as the psalmist said, God is. But God is what? God is, but God is what? Well, I think that the psalmist gives us at least three things that we know that God is. The first of which, God is our refuge, so we must not fear. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed, even though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, we shall not fear. I read about a young unbeliever who was traveling back in the Old West. And he was traveling with his uncle who happened to be a banker. And they were carrying a load of money. And carrying that much money in the Old West, Old West it had its dangers. And so uh, they got scared for their safety when evening came. And so they stopped at, an, at a two-room cabin one night. And they agreed that the younger man would sit up uh, from uh, 9 o'clock until midnight with his pistol. And then the uncle would take over and watch until morning. Then they happened to look through a crack into the other room of this two-room cabin. And they saw the owner of the cabin. He was a rough-looking dude. And that man reached for his Bible. And there in the quiet of the night, he began reading aloud the words of the scriptures. And then after he finished, he closed his Bible and he put it back up and then he knelt and began to pray. And after that man prayed, then the young unbeliever just started getting ready for bed. Just started getting ready for bed. And the uncle said, I thought that you were going to take the first shift, that you were going to stay on guard until, until midnight. And that young man said, there ain't no need to stay up all night. 
in a cabin where there's Bible reading and prayer. You know, it's ironic that even unbelievers realize that there's power in the Word of God. Even the unbelievers to, to think that there's power in praying to God. Everyone knows that where this book has its influence, then people are safe. Even unbelievers know that. Now, if you didn't know it, according to the Mayan calendar, your last day here is December 21st, 2012. December 12th, or December 21st, 2012, is doomsday, according to the Mayan calendar. Supposedly, there are going to be about 13 moons and planets that are going to line up, and the world is going to end as we know it. Now, as I roll my eyes, and I suppose for one moment that there is one shred of proof in anything that they say, what if? What if the earth spun out of its orbit and just started going out into the uttermost parts of the universe? What if the earth began to quake so violently that the mountains just rolled off into the sea? What if? The Bible says we will not fear if the earth gives way or the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. We will not fear. Why? Because God is our refuge. He is our hiding place. And we will not fear. God's got control of this. Even if some natural disaster took our lives, there would be no reason for you and I to be fearful because all that means is, is that me and you are going to be with God. Amen? So fear not. The worst that can happen to you is that you might go to heaven. The worst thing that might happen to you in the event of a cataclysmic natural disaster is that you might go to a place where God lives on the throne, where there's no sickness, there's no sorrow, there's no pain, and there's no death. Now that's a bummer, isn't it? <laughs> to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. So why do we fear then? Why do we fear so much in this world that we live in? Why do we fear leaving this world? And if we're honest with ourselves, we would have to uh, agree that there's a certain amount of fear that we all have, no matter how strong our faith is. But someday we will leave and we will be with the Lord and there will be no pain, there will be no sorrow, there will be no more uh, death. We'll be eternally blessed. I mean, how in the world can it get any better than that? Why do we fear? Why do we fear then leaving this world? We fear because to some degree, our faith is lacking. To some degree, our faith is lacking. We want to believe. We want to believe that we'll, we'll be safe and all will be well and we'll all be with the Lord. But deep down, there's still that part. There's still that part of us that just doesn't really believe. Jesus said, believe in God 
believe also in me. And in Mark chapter 9, the word of God records a story of a boy who had an evil spirit. And the spirit would throw him down on the ground and cause him to foam at the mouth and he would gnash and grind his teeth together. And so what happened? The boy's father took him to Jesus. And in Mark chapter 9 and verse 17, the word says, Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has an evil spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they might cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring the boy to me. Then they brought the boy to Jesus, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he, the spirit has thrown him both into a fire and into water to destroy him, but if you can. This disciple of Jesus said, if you can, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus replied, if you can, if you can, Jesus said back to him, if you can believe, then all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Friend, if you're honest with yourself, you have some degree of unbelief. How do I know this? Because if we had 100% complete obedience and belief, then you know what? we would be doing everything that this word tells us to do. And as I look at my reflection in the mirror, I say, Bill, you're not doing that. So you've got a certain amount of unbelief in you. I say, Lord, help me to overcome my unbelief. That's what we all need to pray. Just like that man did, just like that father did. Help us to overcome our unbelief. God, help me to believe in you. Help me to believe your word. Help me to trust you completely. Help me so I will have no fear in this life. That I will have no fear of man. That I will have no fear of government. Help me, Father, to believe. Friend, God is our refuge. We must not fear. But God is something else. God is also our strength. Therefore, we must not falter. Verse 4, back in the psalm. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be removed. God shall help her just as the break of dawn. The nations raged, and the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. For the Christian, you only have one source of strength, and that is God. 
God is the source of our strength. And he is in the city of God, but he is also within us. The spirit of God is God within the believer. Therefore, we must not fall and we must not falter. Now, there are times, and I know there are, when we feel weak. Amen? We feel weak. There are times that we at least uh, think that we're weak. We feel helpless. We feel inadequate. We don't know what to do or how to go about doing it. We have no strength. But God says in his word that God is our strength. You must not falter. You must not fall. Survivor Eva Hart remembers the night very well. April the 15th. 1912, the night that the Titanic plunged 12,000 feet to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean just a mere two hours and 45 minutes after an iceberg tore a 300-foot gash in her starboard side. Eva says, I saw the horror of its sinking. I heard the cries of drowning people. And those cries echo in my mind till today. She said that although 20 lifeboats were launched, most most of those lifeboats were only partially filled. Most of them left with just a few passengers on board, while most of the other passengers struggled in the icy Atlantic Ocean. But there was one. There was one lifeboat, lifeboat number 14, who did row back after the scene to this unsinkable ship sinking. And they chased those drowning cries in the darkness, seeking to save just a precious few while all the other half-filled lifeboats waited in the distance, gripped with fear. Friend, those other people in those other lifeboats were so scared that possible survivors might capsize their lifeboat that you know what they did? Nothing. They didn't do anything they did absolutely nothing our savior jesus christ said i came to seek and to save the lost and he tells you and i that we're supposed to do the same thing but we face this huge obstacle christians believers face this huge obstacle And that obstacle is fear. While people are drowning in the treacherous waters around us, you and I are tempted to stay dry and make sure nobody rocks the boat. Why? Fear. But I want to tell you this morning that God is our strength. You need not fear. God is our strength. We must not falter in this commission that Jesus has given us to save that precious few. You say, well, Brother Bill, that's easy to say. Well, there's a lot of extenuating circumstances out there. 
I mean, Bill, what would you say to that young couple who took their three-and-a-half-year-old child to see the doctor? Everything looked okay, and then he dies two days later, and he wasn't even sick. Friend, what would you say to that couple? What would you say? Would you say anything at all? Would you offer any comfort? Would you offer any explanation? What if a young woman came to you with marital problems? She thought her husband was cheating on her, and she came up to you for advice. Come up to you looking for some help. What advice would you give her? Would you give her any advice at all? Or would you just say nothing at all? If you chose to say something, would you have a clue what to say? Would you have a clue what to say according to the Bible? You see, the whole idea is it's not so much about what we think. It's not so much about how we feel. It's what does God's word say? What does God's word say? And how does God's word speak into the life of those, that couple? Speak into the life of that woman? See, there are times when we feel weak. And there are times when we feel helpless. There are times that we don't know what to say. Times we don't know what to do. But we must remember that God is our strength. That he is our strength. And the more we lean on him, the less we will fear and the less we will fall. God is our strength. And we must lean on him. For he alone is our strength. And we're not strong in ourselves. Philippians chapter 2, Paul wrote this to that church. He told them, this church of Christians, he told them, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, that is with deep reverence and awe to God. For it is he, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It's God that provides the strength. It's him. He does it. You just got to work out your salvation and allow him to use you as an instrument in his holy hand. 2 Timothy verse one, or chapter 1, verse 7 says that God didn't give us a spirit of fear. He didn't give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Friend, you may be weak, but God's spirit's in you. And let me tell you something, he's strong. He is strong. And he can be the source of your strength as long as you're living close to him. As long as you're willing to submit before him. You may be weak, but God's spirit is strong. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Don't underestimate yourself. God is in you. You must not fall. You must not falter. In this commission he's given us. He is our strength. And God is our refuge. But God is also our God. He is our God. We must not fight. 
let me explain. Verse 8. Come and behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes war cease at the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God, he says. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. And the God of Jacob is our refuge. Come and see what the works of the Lord are. Come and see. See what he has done on this planet. None of us could do what he's done. He alone is God. It's amazing the things that he has created. Does anybody know what an entomologist is? Somebody knows. What's an entomologist, Robert? He's a bug dude. Amen? Exactly. He's a bug man. He's a bug scientist. Anyway, entomologists estimate that there are over 5 million insect species. But we've only learned about 1 million of them. We've only learned about 1 million and named only 1 million of the 5 million insect species. For instance, there are over 300,000 species of beetle. Amen? That's a lot of bugs. And I don't like bugs. The only, the only thing bugs are good for is for splattering on my windshield. Amen? And what a mess they make. I've never seen a good bug. I bet you there's some out there, but I've just never seen one. Amen? But who created all those bugs? Who created five million species of bug? Who created all that? We know they just didn't evolve out of nothing. All those bugs. Who made the Grand Canyon? Who spoke the stars into the universe? Who told that Mount Everest to build itself? Can you create a bug? Why, of course not. Well, if you can't create any of those things, then why are you playing God? What in the world do you mean, Brother Bill? Why am I playing God? Well, does anybody remember that movie Bruce Almighty back in 2003? Funny movie. Jim Carrey complains in the movie, he's Bruce, that God ain't doing his job right. And so God, played by Morgan Freeman, offers Bruce the job of being God for a week. But when Bruce found out how hard it was to be God, he didn't want the job anymore. Can you imagine being God? Can you imagine actually having God's power? Would you want his job? If you did want his job, would you be able to make right decisions? If you did want his job, would you be able to make right decisions for every single person in the whole world? Would you be able to judge rightly? Would you be able to judge every scenario, every situation fairly? It shocked me to find out that Morgan Freeman said in an interview recently 
I am God. No, Morgan, you're not God. You may think you're God, but you're not God. We know better. But sometimes we act like we're God. We might not actually think that we're God. We may not actually say that we're God. But sometimes we act like we're God. What in the world are you talking about, Bill? You see, some people are fighting a losing battle in their lives. They're fighting a losing battle. They're fighting with God for control over their own life. They want to do things their own way. They don't want to do things God's way. But I want to tell you this morning, we got to let God be God. We got to let God be God and be still before Him. We must be still and bow before Him. He's God. Be still and know that I am God, He said. He's exalted, He will always be exalted. He's number one. He'll always be number one. He'll always be God. He'll always be the only God. So we need to stop playing God. We need to stop playing God in our own lives and let God be God over our lives. We need to let Him control us. Let Him control our attitudes. Let Him control our lives. And stop choosing our own selfish paths. He alone is God. But every day, you and I are confronted with things to do. We're confronted with decisions to make. We're uh, faced with thoughts to act on. And most of the time, if we're honest with ourselves, we choose our own way. Even when we know that's not the way God would choose for us. We need to let God be God in our lives. We need to let him choose what we're to do and how we're to do it. We need to let God be God. Because, friend, when we do our own thing, instead of submitting and bowing before God and exalting him and obeying him and obeying his word, when we choose our own way instead of doing all those things, we are playing God. We're saying, my way's better than your way. I'm going to do it my way. That's what we're saying. When we don't obey him, and when we don't submit to him, and when we don't exalt him to the number one place in our lives. That's what we're doing. And I believe that Jesus addressed this problem. He addressed this problem in Luke chapter 6. Jesus said, guys, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you to do? Why do we call God God, but then don't do what he told us to do? Somebody's a liar in that little scenario. Somebody's not being completely truthful. Either he is God or he isn't. And if he is God, we do what he tells us to do. If he is Lord, then we do what he tells us to do. 
Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Can you see Jesus scratching his head? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I tell you to do? And he's talking to Christians. He's talking to his own. He's talking to children of God. Why do you call me Lord, but don't do what I've told you to do? Man. Why? Because we're busy playing God. We're playing God instead of bowing before God. We're playing God instead of submitting to him who is God. Man, let me tell you, God is our God, and we must not fight against him. And doing our own thing and not submitting to his will and not submitting to his authority is playing God. Why do you call me God, but you don't do what I tell you to do? Am I really your God? Am I really your Lord? If you don't do what I told you to do, God is. God exists. God is eternal from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. He always has been. He always will be. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is ever-present. And he has the right to tell us what to do. has the right to command me. He has the right to tell me what to do because I am his. He owns me lock, stock, and barrel, head to toe. He owns me. He has the right to tell me what to do. He loves people so much. He loves human beings so much. He just wants you to believe in him and to obey him and to know that when you obey him, the best is going to happen in your life. But if you choose your own way, you're going to falter and fall. And the best can't happen if you choose your way because you're not ever-present. You're not all-knowing. You're not all-powerful. But he is. So, friend, if you're listening, say amen. How long have you been fighting? How long have you been fighting God for supreme control of your life? Dr. Phil used to say, how's that working for you? Amen. How long have you been fighting? At, where's the breaking point? Where you're going to raise your hands and say, I get it, God. You are God. And I give you complete control over my life. Where's the breaking point? When's that going to happen? Can I tell you this morning that God is God and he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing even if you don't think that he knows what he's doing. Even if you don't believe that he knows what he's doing, he knows what he's doing. But listen carefully. You cannot have it your way 
and experience God's way at the same time. They're diametrically opposed to one another. You can't have it your way and his way at the same time. You either choose your own selfish path or you submit to his will and his way of doing it. Something's got to give. Something's got to give. Do you want his best or your best? Wow. Think about what the all-powerful God of the universe could give you. And then think about what you might be able to give you. He so desires to be your strength. He so desires to be your refuge. So that you don't have to fear and you don't have to falter. But you can't have it your way and experience his way at the same time. Something's got to give. Something's got to give. Sadly, with most people, you know what gives? God's way gives. God's way takes the back seat, and then they end up suffering unnecessary consequences all their lives. Because they chose their own way instead of God's way. Are you ready to let God have control? Are you ready to stop fighting? Are you ready to let God have control? Jesus said that God so loved his creation that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Would you like to be able to claim that promise from our creator God? the creator of this universe? Would you like to be able to claim that promise of heaven? Would you like to be able to claim that promise of not only eternal life later, but a rich, fulfilling life now? If so, something's got to give. Your own way or God's way? Which will it be? He makes it simple. He just says, Confess with your mouth that Jesus, the Son of God, is Lord. That Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God did raise him from the dead. And you'll be saved. And then for the Christian, it's every single day thereafter saying Jesus is Lord. Will you say that with me? You have to say it a little bit louder for him to hear you. One more time. Jesus is Lord. God is God. He is our refuge. We don't have to fear. He is our strength. We won't fall. He is our God, friend. And that's enough for me. I pray if you haven't made a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would be your Savior and your Lord, that you'd allow today to be your day. Because whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, God is God. Let us pray. Father, as we just bow before you to just think for a moment about your incredible creation.